my fellow plebs. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Lindner, and I am here with a special co-host today, Nolan. How are you doing today, Nolan? Ansel, I love life indeed. Sitting in for <laughs> CK, who is traveling. But yes, we got sir. a lot to talk about, don't we? We do have a lot to talk about. We've been off for a little bit of a break, but the whole world, even more interesting, isn't it? Yeah, big day today. We have CPI numbers. So we'll be digging in deep into CPI, not only what we, you know, the headline and talk about that, but we're going to dig down into some components. We're going to dig down into the market reaction. We're going to dig down into maybe some experts out there and what they're saying this means for the future. So big, big show. I want to tell everyone that's watching right now, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share this stream out there. We're trying to grow the reach of Bitcoin Magazine and FedWatch. So appreciate everybody that's joining us today. Nolan, do you have any admin notes up front before we jump into the content? Yeah, I just like to say that this is a show where you're getting reliable information because a lot of the predictions that FedWatch has made over a year track record now have come true. We're in the world described on this show. So if you're looking to orient yourself in this crazy world as it is, right, this is a great show to do it. Lots of predictions. I have a show. I run it every morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time. Breakup where we look at all kinds of stuff and make predictions too. We get some right, we get some wrong, but it's along the same line. So join us 8 a.m. And we'll talk about all kinds of things related to your mental health and your financial well-being. Yes, so everyone needs to join Nolan at 8 a.m. every day. And I have a semi-daily live stream that I do as well. So you can join me about midday. Between 11 and 1, I try to get on every day during the week and do a update on macro and Bitcoin and all that stuff. So follow me on Twitter and at Salinder to get those updates and I also have a Telegram. Nolan, do you have a Telegram? Yeah, I have one that we just started, but I I think it's called The Breakup. And uh, we review the shows every day, but I, I don't know the actual call sign for it. So I'll get back to you next time with that. I'll all right. All right. Yeah, we the uh, Telegram channel for my stuff is t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. And we're cutting it up in there every day. Sometimes there's some heated discussion. Sometimes it's very nice and cordial in there. But we do, it's a lot of signal. So jump on over to the Bitcoin and Markets Telegram. All right, should we jump in to slide number one? Are you ready for this, Nolan? I am indeed. I am indeed. Let's see the CPI magic. All right, so CPI was out this morning, and it was negative 0.1% in December. Month over month, negative 0.1%. Year over year, it's still up there at 6.5%. And there's a lot of confusion, of course, about... 6.5 versus a negative number. Well, this just means that from November to December, we actually had an absolute fall in the average price. So that's how we get to negative 0.1%. Uh, if you go to the next slide, Chris, I know we, you need, your setup takes a little bit longer today, but the next slide is going to be, this is every month over month. And you'll see that we are now below the trend line here or the midpoint. Do, do, do. And is, is CPI normally, now I know it's 2% yeah. a year is generally the inflation target, CPI being one of the big barometers to get to that. What do yes. we normally see in the fourth quarter? Because it is a time where a lot of consumption is going on, Christmas holidays, not necessarily the time we get the best deals, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure about that. But you know what goes on historically in this quarter? 
Well, they do have seasonal adjustments to kind of smooth that out a little bit. But I would say that most of the time, you know, the economy and the businesses out there, they're able to plan and they're able to, in normal times, they're able to look ahead of several quarters and know, hey, we need to plus up our inventory here. And so they're smooth. They're doing their seasonal adjustments on top of what the Fed is doing with the Fed's seasonal adjustments as well. So it's it's usually pretty, pretty smoothed out. But as you can see on this chart here, the last year in 2021, uh, th those all the way over on the right there, th these numbers were very, very high. And that's where we get, when you add all those together, you get that year over year rate. And you can see just since, the, uh, since June was the last peak and the month over month numbers now have been falling. And this last one came in at negative 0.1%. Okay, I'll be ready for the next slide whenever Chris can get it up. But uh, yeah, I want what I wanted to do on the next slide is look a little bit, zoom in just on this last couple of years, because when you're talking about year over year, you're, when, when you go to December, that means last December's number falls off, right? And it's no longer in the calculation. And in, in February or the January numbers, then last January will fall off. So where are we? in this kind of hump because every month we'll chew through this hump and we'll replace a higher number with a lower number and so that's why a lot of people are starting to say that in 2023 we'll see that headline number the year over year 6.5 percent we'll start seeing that coming down pretty rapidly because if you look in 2021 we're starting to get into some of those higher readings where the month over month was at 0.6 0.7 and when those fall off and are replaced by 0.1 then the that year over year average is going to come down very very quickly so that's that's what i wanted to point out with this slide what do we got next we got x shelter so some of the stuff that um i've noticed and a lot of people have noticed is the shelter is a big lagging indicator okay so it is printing it's still accelerating higher the shelter component but everything else is falling. Notably, the energy component fell 4.5% this month, but the shelter component accelerated 0.8%. So what I have been doing is taking the shelter component out. And you can do that just on the FRED website on their database. They have one that is consumer prices X shelter. So if you just put that in and then you do it to month over month or percentage change, it's called, you can see that it's really, really negative. It's as negative, almost as negative as the bottom of the COVID. COVID. So really, it, if you take shelter out, CPI is falling very, very rapidly. So as soon as shelter catches down to the rest, I think shelter will catch down to the rest of the CPI. We're going to see some numbers in March, April that, you know, CPI is going to be getting close back down to 2%. So Nolan, I'll pause here. I have one more chart on the CPI specifically, but do you have any comments on, on these that we've seen? Yeah, I do. How would CPI be related to that new accounting mechanism? We hear a lot of the central bankers go on and on about where they don't want to take yearly targets. They want to start blending mm -hmm. them over time and start looking at the year over year a little more and really have more manipulation over direction, let's say, where it looks like these kinds of data that we've seen could be more useful to them to paint a really rosy picture if they had, as far as I understand, if this accounting yeah. system were to be implemented, this kind of data would sort of fit right into that narrative. Is, is that something that can be squeezed out of this or is that just something that I'm picking up by, by hearing you analyze CPI the way you are? Well, I, I haven't heard specifically any plans that they have, but I do know that Powell is he really puts a lot of weight on the three month or the quarterly. So the quarter over That's quarter. That's what I mean then. Yeah. yeah. Instead of the year over year. And what that does is it shrinks it down and it gives you some more granularity. And that's one thing I've been talking about is, you know, we hit a brick wall in July of this year. We went from 1% a month to zero on the CPI. And that was definitely peak CPI. And we've been down here near zero ever since. So the year over year does not get that because it's not granular it's not granular enough so yeah they like the three month and i do have a chart here towards the end that we'll talk about the three three month over three month or quarter over quarter the last chart or the last little thing i have on the data release i'm ready for slide number five chris and this is just the table i kind of highlighted some things it's real small print so apologies for that but you can see we're looking at the december column 
And the first one is all items, 0.1%. I highlighted food, which is the second row. And that was just to show that, you know, we went from 1%, then we started going down to 0.8%, 0.6%, 0.5, and now we're down at 0.3. So we are definitely coming down on the food inflation or CPI prices are definitely the acceleration of food prices is slowing pretty drastically. Then the next group of highlights is the energy complex. And you have, um, let's see, gasoline and fuel oil. So gasoline and diesel, they both came down about 9%. And what is this? It's real small for me to see. Actually, no, the fuel oil came down 16%. Is that it's just a small point. Yeah. 16.6. Yeah. Yeah. 16.6 cents. So that is a pretty big decline in the fuel oil segment. Lastly, down at the bottom here is shelter. And that you can see last month was 0.6 and this month is 0.8. So it's reaccelerated to its highest that it's been, you know, in this whole era of higher CPI. So that is broken down more on the components. What are your thoughts on that to Nolan? Well, I, I'm seeing the lag again. Now, maybe it's just me, but everyone's talking about eggs right now. You know, you go mm. on, on Bitcoin Twitter and everyone's talking about <laughs> yeah. eggs and inflation of eggs. And now, of course, each foodstuff can have its own local issues and, and things like that. And as I understand, the border between Canada and the United States had some regulation stuff that stopped eggs from coming across the border, which oh, really explain. Yeah, well, that's what they say. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows, right? You get a million, it, always a fog of war when you're talking about vital commodities being missing from the market, really difficult to suss out. But what I'm wondering about is that delay, right? When you, when you do, when you're in the chicken game, let's say, right? You're in the chicken game and you see your costs going up six months ago and you need a new flock of birds for the next round of yield, right? Yep. So planning has to go in. If you're not able to sell them at the marketplace or the buyers being the grocery stores aren't picking them up to offset your own inflation costs, you would still see in from an agricultural business point of view, the kind of delay that you're pointing out here with real estate, real estate lagging. Are these little bumps in the road that are related to specific commodities like eggs related to things like this planning from six months ago? Or are we just dealing with some inflationary effects around certain foodstuffs? Well, there can be all sorts of things. I mean, these, the big farmers, they do have insurance as well. So there is, I don't know, there, there's all sorts of different ebbs and flows and ways they can hedge themselves versus not hedge themselves. You could have things like a bird flu too. So you could have, I know, I think this was during COVID or maybe it was 2021 where they lost like 20 million chickens. They had to just cull them because they all, one of them had flu and they're all so genetically similar. They knew that all of them would get it like almost immediately. So they just killed a bunch of them. So that can cause egg prices to go up and chicken prices, obviously the meat prices. And what else? The, like you see this in oranges too, you know, when, when Florida has a really weird frost, then you can see the price of orange juice go up. So yeah, there, I would say the price of eggs isn't really tied into this particularly probably just really solo factors involved with the price of eggs yeah, yeah. all right but is my we, sound, we got, we got a, my sound? Got, is yeah i got a similar i saw that note anyway i've had oh. some problems with restream and it kind of clip in my sound so i hope it doesn't bother people but uh, I'm, I'm doing my best i actually opened up a whole new browser just to do the restream to try to cut that out so I did the same before my show for the same reasons and me the same heading <laughs> lately. So there you go. All right. Well, let's see how the markets reacted. So let's pull up slide number six, please, Chris. And this is going to be the Bitcoin reaction. This is a five minute chart. And I put an arrow right there where the CPI dropped this morning. You can see that there was some major volatility building up towards the release and then we had a fall and now we're back pretty much even to where we were and i took this snapshot a couple hours ago so it might be different already but you can just see a bunch of volatility the same sort of stuff oh let, let's take a look at where bitcoin is now then on the daily we have been doing pretty well going up into this resistance zone 
I'm ready for the next one, Chris. Sorry, man. <laughs> Whipping through these slides. His setup today, guys, for the audience, he's on a different computer, so it's taking him a couple seconds. But okay, so this is just the daily chart, and you can see we're going right up into this resistance zone, kind of approaching that 200-day moving average at the same time that we're approaching that green horizontal line, which is like the biggest resistance by volume. Going back, you know, this whole the whole last 12 months, the volume has really peaked at about 19,000. So if we're fighting that peak in volume resistance plus the 200-day moving average, that's where I expect the price to really face its biggest test. But man, doesn't that look pretty? That is a nice parabolic curve right up into the resistance zone. So Nolan, any thoughts on the price of Bitcoin over the last week? It's been it's been feeling good, at least to me, yeah. over 18,000. This snuck up on me, actually, my eye elsewhere on all the things going on in the world and all the noticed a few times that it bounced through thresholds and, you know, definitely was against what my instincts were saying would be the start of the year. I thought would stay flat and boring, but to see this going up pretty confidently is, I think, a good sign. And I think broadly represents a whole bunch of sentiment towards the new year change the end of i think one of the toughest years yet really you know yes. still paying for the repercussions of the lockdowns and the mandates and all those kinds of things so you know it sort of jives with how i feel about the world very broadly and you know mentioning the events right the the winter that we're in i continue to think that we're gonna start already seeing the narratives around bitcoin rebuilding which are in front of us we see energy literacy on the rise i think that's a major subject that just like Bitcoin tackled all the questions around financial literacy and promoted a great degree of knowledge about what you do on Fed Reserve on Fed Watch and, and understanding the Fed Reserve. The same thing's happening in energy, everyone laughing at the gas burner stories the past couple of days, yeah. right? Those are that's really positive for Bitcoin that people are not falling for this stuff. And and I think, you know, has me looking optimistic and, and glad that the market is, is in sync with that. Yeah, so great points, man. I think, yeah, Bitcoin pushed literacy of money. Like, what is money? Millions and millions of people around the world now have, have a really good understanding of that. And even, I think it goes to pushing the, the so-called experts. It pushes them to question what they're doing and to, to learn, relearn everything again. So yeah, I think Bitcoin has done that. And then the energy literacy, yeah, that's a great point. Um, just hitting that home every single, you know, every single time something like that comes out, we just got to hit it home and uh, people will learn very rapidly. And, and the holidays did provide, you know, this could even maybe explain it psychologically what happens happened with that great storm that passed through the continent if, if foreigners weren't aware there was a massive storm that crossed north america during the christmas time and left tons of jurisdictions i mean really loss of human life it's you know cold weather like that is some of the most dangerous stuff you're going to come across and lot you know sad sad things so we don't want to minimize how sad it was but the good news is bitcoin mining weirdly right offset about provided electricity for about a 1.5 million homes. And it sounds, oh, nice Bitcoin miners. Well, the good news is it, they didn't have to be nice. They just looked at the price of electricity and said, I'm not doing anything to do with that. I'm not going to spend it. So all of a sudden there was this excess amount of energy, which really was distributed in real life. And this created, a, a, I think, a good news narrative. And I think you're going to see a lot more of those narratives as the years go by now. That's a big part of what's going on here. So I see there's someone in the comments saying Absolutely. insane hypocrisy. You say Bitcoin is the solution and we should drop fiat. Well, I'm not saying drop fiat. I'm saying don't measure energy markets in fiat. That's all I'm saying. Right? That You should measure energy in a unit that we can understand and therefore optimize against. And Yeah, well, and I, I have more of response to that is... Bitcoin is a solution, obviously, but it's it's not like going to happen at the snap of a finger. We have to understand where we are and how we get there. And this is why we look at CPI, because I like to point out that most people don't understand CPI. Most people don't understand 
the monetary system as it is. And so you have to learn how the monetary system is in order to understand how we get to Bitcoin. So yeah, we do. And th this is FedWatch. You know, we want to know what they're thinking and what they're doing over there on the fiat side, just so we get an understanding of how the system is. So I don't, there's there's no hypocrisy in my, my opinion. All right, let's go on to slide number eight, please. So this is the S&P 500 and very similar chart to Bitcoin here. And this was a uh, look at that volatility, just like the Bitcoin chart with the volatility leading up to CPI and then CPI hit and there was more volatility on the backside. So overall, though, if you zoom out, I'm ready for the next slide when you can get it, Chris. If you zoom out on the S&P 500, we are coming up to a pivotal juncture here as well just like on the bitcoin chart when we were coming up to the 200 day moving average we we're coming up to the volume resistance you know that is a very pivotal point on the bitcoin chart and here we have the same thing on the stock market chart you can see that red diagonal trend line goes all the way back over a year now the high of the stock market all-time high was on january 4th of 2022 so we're past one year and it's bounced off the 200 day moving average had some trouble but now it's above the 200 day moving average and breaking through this diagonal trend line so looking at, and it's on a higher low so this chart on the s p 500 is looking bullish to me if it can break out and bitcoin is looking bullish to me if it can break out so all but these two things that have been correlated so much for the last couple years looks like they could be correlated as well in a breakout so any thoughts on stock markets broadly nolan or on these charts here yeah it's it's just a weird coincidence that it looks like the normie market had their own ftx crash in a way, right we saw i mean it makes you think and wonder how much the contagion actually was there i mean certainly for a lot of players in the industry definitely had a direct impact on on the crypto industry bitcoin's price definitely there too but it looks like the normal market had a similar event and and we're you know it, it looks like that is sort of working itself out of the volume and the price and and that's what i'm seeing in these charts when i look just at bitcoin but it looks like it's happening in the normal markets as well just funny coincidence that's hard to sort of ignore hey plebs today's podcast is brought to you by crowd health open enrollment is upon us what if you didn't have to pay healthcare premiums anymore what if you could invest in bitcoin instead with CrowdHealth, you can put aside money for health expenses in your own account and even hold a large part of it in Bitcoin. If Bitcoin goes up, you get the upside, not the big insurance companies. Pay one low monthly total to fund an account that is yours. Choose your doctors and hold 75% of the funds in Bitcoin. If a large expense comes up, CrowdHealth will crowdfund the bill for you to pay quickly. Stop supporting the broken health insurance system with your hard-earned capital. Go to crowdhealthbtc.com and use code BTCMAG and experience freedom from health insurance by utilizing Bitcoin right now through the end of the year. You can get your first six months for just $99 per month. Don't get stuck in a bad insurance plan again. Instead, go to crowdhealthbtc.com and use code BTCMAG to sign up. That's crowdhealthbtc.com, promo code BTCMAG. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It is a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. This most recent bottom in the stock market coincided with the bottom after FTX. So mm -hmm. uh, it's just that it was a higher low for the stock market and it was a mm -hmm. marginally lower low for Bitcoin. But other than that, yeah, it's it's 
it's very, very close. I mean, both of them had really bad 2022s. And I like to say this, I've said this on FedWatch and I've said this on my own show, that 2022 was the worst year in like 140 years for stocks plus bonds, like the 60-40 portfolio. And so I think 2023 is actually going to be a positive year for both stocks and bonds and Bitcoin. So that that's where I am. I'm still on the bullish train. And I've been a bull the whole time, okay? I've been a bull the whole time on the way down, but I'm still a bull now. So, all right, let's see what we got coming up next. Next chart is CK's favorite. If CK were here, this is his favorite. This is the U.S. Treasury yields. The I just, I picked out a few of them, the longer bonds, the 10, the 5, 10, and 30, but I added the two-year as well. And the red stair step is the Fed funds range. And you can see that the, the Fed raised rates as they could, okay? They could raise rates because there was room underneath these curves. But now the interest rates are falling through the Fed funds range. Even the two-year now is below the Fed funds range. So this will get into when we talk about what this means for the Fed. Can they continue to raise rates? They raised four 75 basis point hikes in a row, then a 50 are they going to do a 50 again or a 25 or a zero? We're going to talk about that. That's our next subject. So any thoughts on kind of the this motion of the yields that are coming down through the Fed funds ladder there? Yeah. Is that the, you know, we had the Bostic Fed president or what, what is Bostic again exactly with the Fed? One of the presidents, anyway, who said yeah. that they, they were not afraid of overshooting or they were willing to overshoot their correction mm. to fight inflation. I think that was something that was said just the other day. Is that the overshot? Is that is that it? No, I think it's probably continuing this year. He want, He's saying that if they keep continue to raise rates this year, say another 100 basis points or something, and they overshoot, they're, they're fine with that. But yeah, that just, to me, that tells me that they don't really control anything. It's just like, hey, we're just gonna overshoot. And also that's the safe play for them, actually. if. If I'm correct and that the Fed really doesn't have much power and those rates falling through that stair step of the Fed funds range, it, those rates falling through that, that's the real signal. And the Fed can't control that. Obviously, it's falling through the, the what the Fed is trying to do. Then they can come back and say, oh, we were so powerful, we broke the market. You know what I mean? They it doesn't matter if they overshoot because they have a narrative mm -hmm. to recover from that. And they can so it's like, astroturfing. It's a type yeah, of astroturfing. Ast yeah, it's astroturfing. It's the safe play for them to just raise, keep raising rates, and then when they're forced to pivot, then they will they will pivot. But they don't really do anything. So that's what I would say. <laughs> All right. On the next slide, we have Chris. Is this is the FedWatch tool from CME? And I'm pretty sure we named this show before they named their tool, but their tool is called FedWatch. And um, you can see that after the CPI came out this morning, the odds, the the column on the right, or sorry, the column on the left-hand side is a 25 basis point hike. And the column on the right is a 50 basis point hike. So pretty much the odds are that the Fed will do a 25 basis point hike. Now, if I'm predicting what the Fed is going to do, and I see this kind of dichotomy between these two columns, I have to say that the Fed is just going to follow the market. They're just going to go with the 25. They're not going to shake the boat. So yeah, that's, that's all I have for these charts for the reaction from the market after CPI. Nolan, do you have any comments? Or the next section we have coming up is looking at Nick Timoros and his his comments. So, what what are your thoughts on all those charts? Yeah, again, it, it, I think it's along the lines you say. This is about astroturfing narrative, and if they're getting that signal of the market having confidence, because again, I guess that's all that really matters in the end, right? And that's I think something that's pretty positive that I felt along these lines in 2023 is there is kind of optimism about the year, right? <laughs> like like mm -hmm. we said just a little while ago. And in some ways, that's what you need, right? You need to have that optimism to keep pushing forward, keep growing. And, and I think these are largely optimistic and sort of in line with how I feel with what's going on in the year. And I, part of me keeps saying they're going to let the money printers go and, and run the ship into the ground even faster than we could have hoped as Bitcoiners. So we'll see, you know, we'll see. That You know what that makes me think of? Like, 
it's it's hard to tighten your belt when you when you're going into a bad economy you got to tighten your belt and you think oh i'm missing out on this or that can i actually make my monthly payments but once you've done that you can continue doing that for six months 12 months and it's not as painful as actually the initial tightening of the belt right so maybe that is why it's feeling a little bit more positive because the pain of tightening the belt is already over now people just mm -hmm. have to hold on and they know they can survive month to month and so they look a little bit more positive what do you think about that yeah that that i think definitely to me that's something as a bitcoiner that's really important just having that freedom to negotiate how you approach every day and having that same financial freedom that comes from being literate about cash flow and income and investments and all the kinds of things that allow you to build your own personal wealth. I think if you don't have that, you can't really negotiate with the future and you can't really do much. And you know, that that's, I think one of the great benefits that everyone gets from going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole is just this understanding of how to make yourself uh, capable of withstanding all of these things. And I, I continue to think Bitcoiners are the first to adapt to most things that have been coming. We were the first to adapt to COVID, right? Bitcoin yep. 2021 in Miami, the first conference in the world, the whole planet coming out of COVID and lockdowns and all that stuff. They're literally the first. Why is that? Well, Bitcoiners understood the world in their own way, but in a way that was highly effective in order to get back out in public and and under on and navigate yourself and manage your own risk and it wasn't there was no prohibition on that you didn't wear them it was your choice but the event was just going to be people who were willing to manage their own risks and that's what we do as bitcoiners when i see that right that that's continuing to be what what i think is going to set bitcoiners apart from the rest of the even s p 500 that correlation there really just will get broken because we're going to be more optimistic and more bullish on the future than any of those guys. Yeah. So we're going to see it in our field first, right? Absolutely. All right, let's move on to what the experts were saying after this. So the big one is Nick Timoros. So I'm ready for the next slide. There we go. Is This is just a headline from Zero Hedge. And I, I do have his archive link here pulled up and I'm going to read a little bit from that. But so Nick Timoros is known as the fed mouthpiece here in the headline but uh also like the fed whisperer okay so he supposedly has the ear or they the feds you know whispers to nick timoros and he writes the articles and th this is a recurring theme i remember after the great financial crisis there was another writer probably for the wall street journal as well that was the fed whisperer at that time that people kind of knew that he had the inside track on this stuff and he was leaking things to the to the market days in advance but this was interesting so he says that next the fed will hike 25 basis points in the case there in case there was any, still any doubt if the fed will again slash its next rate increment this time from 50 down to 25 at the feb one FOMC meeting moments ago, the Fed Wall Street Journal mouthpiece Nick Timoros, aka Nikki Leaks. Oh, that's a good one. Made sure everyone knows that in three weeks, the Fed will hike 25 basis points in what may well be its last hike of this cycle. So, very, very interesting. If you go to the next slide, I can pull this up. So the next one here we have is just a paragraph from the middle. And this goes into what you were talking about here about the three month different tracker, but the core CPI index, which excludes volatile food and energy items rose 0.3% from November. So core CPI rose 0.3% and the 12 month increase edged lower to 5.7 from 6.6 .6 in September on a three month annualized basis. Core inflation was 3.1%, the lowest such rate in more than a year and down from 7.9% in June. So this is the three-month annualized basis. And if you go to the next chart, that is a chart from MacroAlf on Twitter, and he had a really good thread, and he had this chart in here, which is exactly what Powell is looking at. And I wanted to go through this a little bit. So this chart is the three month moving average of core services X shelter. So let me describe what that means. There's Powell in all of his speeches over the last several months, 
he's been saying there's three components to the CPI that he's looking at. One is goods, one is shelter, and one is services X shelter because shelter gets counted in services. So pretty much goods are coming down drastically. We see a lot of price cuts across the board in the goods side of the house. Shelter is not a very clear signal because we've talked about why it lags so dramatically. So when Powell is looking at these sectors, he sees goods, they're kind of volatile, but they're coming down. Shelter is going up, but it's lagging. So these two things aren't the best components to look at. So what he's looking at specifically is services X shelter. And that's what this chart is showing. As you can see, it's down, I think annualized, it's fallen, fallen all the way down to 2%. So that is, and that's a annualized of a three month rolling average, you know? So this is what Powell is looking at. And to me, that looks like a lot of progress. You know, to me, that looks like a lot of progress. He could be fine just doing zero in his own mind, but he probably will do what the market wants and do one more 25 basis point hike. But I have some more from Nick Timoros. So on the next slide, let me pull up the text here so I can read it. And that is prices of goods such as used cars are declining. I don't know if you remember that, Nolan, but uh, back in 2021, the prices of used cars was just going parabolic and it was the signal. It showed where CPI was headed. Now the price of used cars continues to crash, fall off of a cliff. But anyway, used cars are declining, a development the Fed has anticipated for more than a year. There's evidence that soaring rents and other housing costs are set to cool, notably amid a sharp slowdown in demand, though that won't be immediately reflected in CPI because of how it is constructed. Fed Chair Powell has recently shifted the focus away from core inflation measures towards an even narrower subset of labor-intensive services by excluding prices for food, energy, shelter, and goods. Officials believe that category could help show whether labor shortages that have been pushing up wages are passing through to consumer prices. So bottom line here is the CPI, I've said this quite a few times, it's constructed in a weird way. We have certain components that lag, certain components that lead. You kind of have to dig down into the data a little bit and make some interpretations in the data. But CPI still is the best thing we have. At least it's open source. We know this stuff. And the last part I'll have here is, well, actually, Chris, can we go to number 17, not number 16? So this is about the co components and about the structure of CPI. Next month, they're switching. They're switching up how they calculate this. So in January of 2023. Which they do often. Which they do. Correct. It's a um, moving target. Well, usually the way that they would change it is they have a moving window where they take those prices in that moving window and or the spending habits or whatever and the, the spending weights and then they just move the window but this time they're actually changing the window so the window used to be two years they would take an average of the last two years and they would you know use that to calculate the cpi and now they're changing it to starting next month to an average of just one year. And notice the year that this is happening to. So in 2021 is when CPI really took off and prices really took off. So they're not gonna be counting when prices were in the doldrums in 2020, when we had excess of everything because people were locked down, they're gonna just be using the 2021 prices. So this could have an effect to lower CPI just based on the calculation of how it is done, the construction of the CPI. And Powell's finding this out. You know, a lot of these people are talking about this. So I have a feeling that maybe post whatever recession is coming, there, there's going to be a big revamp of CPI and how this is calculated, whether it looks more like PCE, you know, or they mix the two, or even they drop CPI and they just go to PCE. I don't know, but there is going to be probably some big changes coming in the next few years down the road. Not, not, immediately right now but i thought that was interesting so nolan i jibber jabbered for a long time 
What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, first up, the Nick T sounds a lot like the Twitter file stuff we're talking about a lot these days as far as preferred <laughs> yeah. clients of leaks and who gets the leak and how do we deal with the leak. So that all, you know, just sort of sounds like Nikki leaks. Of the Twitter file stuff. Yeah, the Nikki leaks. Some <laughs> of the comments ask, has Powell been a military guy in the past? I don't believe he was ever in the military, but I know he's a lawyer. He's not even trained as an economist. Now there's a reason why you'd want a lawyer in, in that job and not all lawyers are actually just the kind of people who get you out of jail or put you in jail or try to you know sue people for this and that. Some of them are in that realm of economics. And I think that's where he comes from because yeah. I have a similar background. I'm trained as a lawyer. Yeah, he he's he's a lawyer, but he didn't come up the normal like way that normal people come up to Fed chairman. He actually was a lawyer for Wall Street. And then he just maybe in the last 10 years, he jumped over to the Federal Reserve side. So he's kind of like new blood, but he's definitely a Wall Street. He's one of the closest, like if you look at his history, he's his, I guess, affiliation is the closest with Wall Street from any chairman for a very long time. Because most really? of the chairmen come up through the ranks of the Federal Reserve and, you know, they're economists of some sort. And no, Powell is a lawyer for Wall Street and he just kind of jumped laterally over to the Federal Reserve. So interesting. Now, I wanted to get into a bit of stuff related to the Federal Reserve because it hasn't just been the Federal Reserve making so much news. Our canary and the cold mine friends in Japan have been really busy this past holiday. Any any thoughts on what's going on over there? I know they did another crazy bond sale. Nobody showed up. <laughs> no one bought them to zero. And and they've had a few pretty, you know, major announcements apparently and, and changes. Any any thoughts on what you saw over there? Well, if, if something in the last say week has come out, I I haven't seen that. But we have talked about Japan here on the show and they did raise their yield curve control window from zero point what was it? 0.25 to 0.5. And that was seen as easing kind of, right? So anyway, immediately the 10-year the went up to the top and then they had to have a record day where they had record intervention in the market just to keep it at the new peg. So that's the last that I have seen. It yeah, seemed... I think there was another one of those instances again. I think it's like four times oh. now since September that it's happened. And the last was, I think, just over the whole, so not a lot of people saw it, right? Because it was over mm -hmm. the holidays. I think if I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to be the spreader of misinformation right here. But now what's, um, interesting about, it. what's interesting about Japan is that they have been easing this whole time. Like every other central bank out there is, has tapered and now they've started rate hikes in QT. And Japan is still going full bore with these record market interventions here on easing. And it really hasn't mattered. Like, is there, there's not really a big difference. Yes, the yen has gone down somewhat against the dollar, but it has recovered quite a bit in the last few weeks. So like, it really hasn't mattered which way the central banks go, if they tighten or they ease. So that is just another kind of point of evidence showing that the central banks don't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I bring it up because I continue to think that that whatever Japan gets away with, everyone else is saying, ah, wow, what's that? You know, can I do that? Indeed, why, you know, exactly why I think this name <laughs> was chosen, right? I, I think that's where, it, I still think that's where it comes from. I think it comes from the idea that Japan is first into this meltdown. They're the first country probably that will, of, of a huge scale and huge size that will have to start imagining and costing the world in bitcoin because nothing in japan will make sense anymore right nothing like depending on what's going on abroad and internally you know i'm i'm told things are so inexpensive there now that if you go it's just 1990s prices like everything is still mar they, they never had a lockdown they never had any of those mandates but they didn't have any travel and they've been struggling with deflation and getting consumer prices to go up for so long that's been the goal right just just right. please pay more for french fries please for a yeah. bowl of rice it would be so yes. great for our economy a big honor for our economy if you would just pay more for a bowl of rice and, and fish and so over time i i went to japan all in my life and and i was there in the early 2000s when indeed it was as expensive as any western country you, you felt like whoa that's a lot that's ten dollars for lunch I was there again at its peak in 08 and 09 as far as demographics, importance in the economy, 
still certainly number two china was not in the picture in 08 yet really the way mm. it is now and i've gone back numerous times since and i i can't believe how cheap it is now like it's it's the yeah. cheapest country to go to by far like you just can't believe what you get with the price and i'm told i can't wait to get to japan now because it's even more drastic after the events of the past few years we got used to these 24 dollars for a dozen eggs and mm. there's still like a buck 80 there <laughs> 1990s prices right <laughs> at a certain point this is all gonna have to get smoothed over or something so uh, you know that's why we do what we do right yeah i saw just recently they were celebrating getting close to two percent inflation or their cpi because yeah it's been so long they, they've been doing such profligate like just mm -hmm. the biggest bazooka money bazooka monetary bazooka you can imagine over the last 20 years and this, nothing has worked. Nothing has worked. Mm -hmm. And finally, guess what? Supply chains break down mm -hmm. and they, they get 2% inflation. Now, if that doesn't tell you anything about the how much QE is money printing or not, I, I don't know what to tell you. But I have one more chart here, Nolan, and this one you might find interesting. So this is a composite of the next two months. So the February meeting, which is February one for the FOMC and the March meeting. And I'm not sure what day in March it is, but this is a composite of the, over those two meetings, what is the total hike gonna be? And you can see it was sitting for the last few days, it was sitting at about 50 basis points, which means either we have a 50 now and a zero or 225s or something like that. But you can see just today with the CPI, it has fallen dramatically under the 50 basis point line. So that means, they do not think that there's going to be a second hike or the market is not thinking there is going to be a second hike. So 25 in February and they're done. So any thoughts on that chart there? Yeah, I mean, that, that's of course what we like to talk about in the show. This is a psychological game and it is one of watching momentum and intentions and, uh, you know, trying to see the magic tricks of one hand, but doing with the other. And uh, we're glad you're here to decipher this stuff because these <laughs> tricky folks would get away with a lot of the old confusion, confuseopoly that they're so good at. Awesome. Well, that's all I have for today, Nolan. I want to thank you for joining. Do you have any closing comments for the entire discussion on CPI? Oh, wait a second. Any closing? Yeah. I mean, I continued to think that in, in the case of America anyway, it's just such a, a rough data set and such a difficult tool to use. Cause like take the car one that you mentioned, right? I went down to Florida and saw this car thing live. I was in the hottest market you could find in 2021 to get a car. I had particular needs. They were buy a car that can help me cross the Canadian border with avoiding the vaccine lockdown business that they had because they mm. throw your kids into a thing, you know? So you had to mm. quarantine in like a government thing. But if you crossed in a car, you could quarantine, right? You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> like you could do yeah. the other kind of quarantining, which is just in the woods. So, so, and I was already in Florida for like five or six weeks. So here's how I had to get a car. Not, nothing online was real because they couldn't keep up with the inventory. So nothing of the online checking nothing was real they had a car the car was never there it was sold a week ago a day ago nothing was, right. you had to go old-fashioned and walk from car dealer to car dealer used car dealer to used car dealer i ended up some god knows where in fort lauderdale and i was able to get a you know because i'm a bitcoiner right i drive an 05 lexus gx 470 as my main car which is a okay souped up land cruiser prado which is just the best bitcoiner car you'll ever find it's a, it's a apocalypse machine but you know it was another it was another bull market so i was living large and i was living large i bought an 08 convertible toyota solara and the only reason i got it and i had to just throw cash at the guy because the market was so crazy he, the, the roof was ripped and, and he had no roof on at the dealer. Like it was just Florida raining in the, in, in the, the parking lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, you have like, it's raining now and the car is getting wet. You must sell me this car for this much money. Like you, you're, you're not going to have a sale in a day, you know? 
And so I got a deal. I got a deal. I broke the trend. You know, I got I had to get a new roof. <laughs> I had to get, uh, but I figured it out, right? So I got my hands on a convertible 08 Toyota below market price. But immediately I got offers at the time for like double, triple because you couldn't buy those cars, right? So right. definitely need to see that the used car market is indeed down. I think that's good news for everybody, especially Bitcoiners who, who, who would buy a new car. Who would do that? It would be so crazy, right? And no matter what the market's at, you know, you get your 05 Lexus, you get your 08 Toyota, and you save your Bitcoin. And that's what Bitcoin Miami is all about. That's what this show's all about, right? Making money, saving money, not wasting on stupid things the Federal Reserve is whispering at you to buy. Right? Absolutely. All right. Well, I just want to sign off by saying, guys, thanks for joining. Like, subscribe, share this stream out. You can join me every day at on Telegram, t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. You are Count BTC for Nolan if you want to follow Nolan on, on Twitter. And that's going to do it. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Magazine time, y'all. Bitcoin is for everyone, lefties, righties, and the rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naib Bukele, Jeff Dice, Natalie Smolinski, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy from the local Barnes & Noble bookstore or from the Bitcoin magazine store at bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.